You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. The text for our communion meditation, as we've mentioned, comes from the, what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's recorded in John 17. This is something that he prayed, uh, a prayer he prayed uh, shortly before his arrest, uh, trial, and execution. Uh, it is a remarkable prayer. I mean, you know, we talk about the Lord's Prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer is really the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. This, this is the real Lord's Prayer, right? This is Jesus praying. It gives us a remarkable uh, glimpse into the inner life of the Trinity. Uh, So it's automatically sort of remarkable and mysterious at the same time. Um, We we don't have time to read the whole uh, uh, prayer, but so I'm just going to read John 17 verses 1 through 5, the very first part where Jesus is primarily focused on himself, Uh, and then I want to just read verses 20 and 24, which uh, makes mention of the fact that this prayer also includes us, okay? Uh, So if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Um, If you don't have a Bible, it's printed for you in your worship folder. Hear God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then down to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, these referring to the 11 disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, would you prepare us for the table through this prayer of your son? Uh, Give us confidence in faith to come to you at this table today. Through these words, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm a fan of Ernest Hemingway. Uh, Wrote a lot of short stories. One of his short stories is called The Capital of the World. Listen to the opening sentence of, uh, of this short story. Madrid is full of boys named Paco, which is the diminutive of the name Francisco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montaña, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa, 
and how a squadron of the Civil Guard had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. Well, that joke, of course, is about how common the name Paco is in Madrid, but it only works because of the universal underlying longing in our hearts for forgiveness, right? And that isn't just uh, forgiveness in our human relationships, a lot of Pacos to their fathers, uh, but it is fundamentally, even more fundamentally, uh, a longing for forgiveness with uh, our Father in heaven, uh, with the Lord. Uh, we, we, we sense, there's a, there's a sense in every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, that, that if God exists, and I now I'm talking like an unbeliever, if God exists, then there's, some, there is, there's a kind of distance, there's a sort of uh, barrier between me and God, and that, and that and the way through that barrier is by way of forgiveness. There's just something in us that knows that if we're going to be restored to a, to a, a good relationship with God, that there's got to be forgiveness, right? Um, so what you need to hear this morning is what Jesus is preaching to you through uh, the table that he commanded us uh, to to join, and he's effectively saying to you, by name, make it personal, he's saying to you, by name, meet me at this table, New Life Church, Sunday, March 6, all is forgiven, Abba. How can Jesus say that to you, right? How can he say that? Well, the answer is in what he prays here. Uh, and I hope you noticed, right, that as I, as I indicated, that even though he prayed this prayer 2,000 years ago, uh, and even though his initial focus in the prayer is about the 11, his 11 closest friends, those disciples, uh, he was praying for you and for me. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word which is you and me. So Jesus had in mind uh, you uh, and me uh, as he prayed this prayer 2,000 years ago. And, and I wanna look at just three things from this prayer that I, I hope will um, encourage you to come to this table, believers, uh, in, in confident faith that you are forgiven. Gonna look at the man, we're going to look at the mission, and we're going to look at the moment. The man, the mission, and the moment, okay? First, the man. It's Jesus, of course, and he is uh, magnificently human. Uh, it's one of the most magnetic realities about Jesus. He walks around in our skin. Uh, he knows what it is to be you. Uh, he knows your fears, the, the pain, the boredom, the drudgery, the limitations, uh, the futility, frustration of life in the flesh in a planet where so many things go wrong all the time. Jesus experienced that. This is all happening, this prayer in a very human moment, right? He's, he's, he's with his closest friends. He's 
been talking to them. This is part of the upper room discourse. Jesus talking to his friends. Uh, now he's praying for them. And, and they, they know the tension is thick. You could cut the tension with a knife. This, this, uh, he's preparing them for what's about to happen. Uh, 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 you know, his, his, Jesus is, is soon to be gone from them. But the, but the really wonderful thing about this man, of course, is that simultaneously with his humanity, he is also magnificently divine. And, and, and it's really the divinity that, that comes out, doesn't it, at the beginning of his prayer here. Uh, he is uh, the son of God, verse one. Um, there never was a time uh, that Jesus was not, right? He pre-existed the world uh, the creation of the world with a glory that I'm not even going to try to describe. Uh, that's verse 5. And so because he's this glorious, pre-existent, always existing son of God, Jesus was given authority over the entire human race by his father, verse 2. And that's why God sends him to earth. He's, he's sent to you, verse 2, with all authority. All authority over the human race. I, I don't think we think about that enough. It, it comes in such a humble package, right? It didn't look like Jesus had all authority over human beings, past, present, and future. Right? An itinerant rabbi. A, a tiny little movement in a, in a remote corner of the Ro Roman Empire, uh, a former uh, carpenter from a no-named town, um, and yet uh, he possesses all authority over every human being, past, present, and future. You know, we're pr impressed. A lot of our young people are impressed these days by... Uh, uh, not only impressed by, but, but by the products of so-called uh, Instagram influencers. Uh, I, was, I was reading a, a business article the other day and it was named some of the top um, Instagram influencers. Uh, young people know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you in my generation or older don't. Uh, but you know these the, these are people that have made a career on Instagram. Uh, one of one of these Instagram influencers is Huda Katan, uh, who is, is all about cosmetics and beauty, and she's got forty eight million followers. Forty eight million, right? Anytime she puts something out there on, on Instagram, she has an audience of nearly fifty million people, right? Tuning in. That's that's a lot of influence. That's power. And of course, we, we, we are focused these days on, on leaders who exert a massive political and military power. Um, some for good, some for ill. Right? Vladimir Putin, the President of the United States. Uh, but all of that, all of the, the greatest of human influence, the greatest of human power, pales in comparison to the overarching authority that Jesus Christ possesses. Right? Every human being, past, present, and future, answers to Jesus, whether you're a pe peasant or whether you're Putin. You answer to Jesus. 
That's who's calling you to this table this morning. Second, the mission. We know from verse two uh, that Jesus was sent by his father and he was sent on a mission. Uh, Jesus refers to that mission in verse four, calling it the work that you, Father, gave me to do. That's his mission. Jesus was sent to earth with work that he was assigned to do. Uh, What was that work? Well, Jesus calls it out in verse two, to give eternal life to all the people that his father had given him. Okay? To give eternal life to all the people that his father had given him. I want you to notice two things about what Jesus says here in verses two and three about his mission. Um, First, you're a gift to Jesus. Did you know that? You're a gift to Jesus. The Father gave you by name to Jesus before the world was founded, okay? Which shows that, one, you're not in this by luck and you certainly aren't in this by merit. You know, we, we come together here because uh, in the mists before time, the Father uh, called you out by name and gave you as a gift to his son and said, I'm sending you, son, on a mission at some point to bring eternal life to these people. Okay? So you're not, you're not God's plan B. You're God's plan A. Right, And the Father gifted you to Jesus in order that Jesus could give you a gift, right? Notice, the, it's, and that's eternal life. Eternal life is, is for us a gift to give eternal life to all people that his Father had given him. Uh, again, underlines the fact that we're here not because we've worked so hard or we've been so smart or we've been so holy or spiritual. We are here because uh, we have received a gift. Eternal life comes to us like everything comes to us from God by grace, right? By the unearned favor, the unearned, undeserved love of God. That's why we're here. And second, so your gift to Jesus and, and all that entails. And then second, I want you to notice Right, what this gift that we've received is, the, the eternal life. Uh, I just had a discussion two days ago with uh, a friend about this topic. Uh, he, was, he was saying, you know, I'm not so excited about this, you know, the Christian pitch for heaven. I mean, heaven doesn't really excite me a lot. Um, it, he goes... You know, it's not, in fact, it's not very attractive to me at all. It, it, at best, it sounds incredibly boring, right? Um, he asked me, you know, am I going to sing forever, right? Am I going to worship forever? It sounds like, like I am endlessly in church. Who wants that? I literally had this discussion. And, you know, he, he, that's a good, it's a, those are fair questions, 
Those are fair questions, but underlying the question is a fundamental misunderstanding of what eternal life really is. I mean, he was thinking of eternal life as an endless continuation of life more or less as we know it, right? And if you think about that, well, yeah, that's, can, that could be terrifying. You know, this endless existence of, which is more or less what we've got. Um, Jesus says in verse 3, right, he, he defines eternal life, and it, this may surprise you. He says, eternal life is knowing the only true God and his son, Jesus. That's eternal life, knowing. Knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ. As uh, theologian D.A. Carson well put it, eternal life, he says, is not so much everlasting life as personal knowledge of the everlasting one. See, and, and understand, right, knowing God isn't like knowing facts about God. Uh, it is uh, knowing in the Bible, that, the whole, the, that verb to know in the Bible is a much more robust concept than we understand it in English. Right, the, 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 in, 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 the, in the Jewish mind, which it, of course is infused to the Old and the New Testament, uh, knowing m meant so much more than just knowing facts, right? That's why the word know is used to describe sexual relations. That is carried over in the, in the old King James, right? Adam knew Eve and bore a son. Um, that see to know God then is to is to is to enter into God to see God to experience God to be in a close intimate transparent relationship with Him. And that's also what verse twenty four is getting at, which we read. Right? I desire, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, that would be us, may be with me where I am to see my glory. And that word "see" is not just you know observe, you know, uh, noticing something with your eyes. It's it's it means something more like entering into and experiencing my glory. Now, don't ask me what that means. I, it's, but it's, I think it's going to be great. And, and we've, we've all, I've, I've talked about this before. Um, and I know, and every time I do, you guys come up and tell me that you've had similar experiences. And it's, you know, it's that, it's encountering something in life where, you, where it puts you in touch with something transcendent, almost, it's, but then, then you don't quite get there. It's like a mirage. It sort of fades out. You know, it, it, ha it happens when, um, scarily, often when I'm on a chairlift skiing. And I'm, and I'm looking at these beautiful, you know, scenes around me. And there's something in me that wants to sort of kind of join in with it, right? To get more connected with what I'm seeing. And you, I'm almost like, I, if you see me grabbing the pole, I mean, I need to be lashed to the mast, right? Because I might jump off the chairlift. And I felt that on the, the edge of Grand Canyon, the top of Half Dome. 
right? It, there's, there's something there that the, the glory of creation is putting me in touch with, with the, the glory behind creation. And it's all, and I'm almost, I can sense that I'm, I'm almost there. And that's, that's what I think is impelling that desire to kind of jump into it. And then it fades away. But that's, that's what eternal life, we're going to, finally we're going to be able to jump in. To enter into the glory of the Trinity. Right? That interaction between the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I, all I, I, can t- I can pretty much promise you that um, it's going to be endlessly adventurous and different and full of variety and multidimensional and meaningful and glorious and fun and exciting and joyful. Everything you love about life now times infinity. Okay? Amen. Um, so that's the mission. Um, Third, the moment. Uh, The moment is described by Jesus here as the hour. The hour has come. This is the moment. Moment is here. It's the hour, verse 1. And the hour, of course, is Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, That word hour in John's gospel is virtual code for, for Jesus' death. Uh, so uh, Jesus is, is acknowledging here, the moment's here. The, it's the moment of my, my crucifixion. It's the moment of my dying. Um, and that's exactly how Jesus accomplishes his mission uh, of giving you eternal life. Right? He glorifies God on earth, he says. And how did, he, how did he glorify God on earth? Well, by for 30-some years, living a perfect, sinless life. And now, at this moment, now at the hour has come, he's taking that perfect life according to a plan hatched by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the world was created. And he's going to hang that life, that perfect life, on a cross for you and me. So that God can forgive you. You see, when God forgives you, it's not like, I, I think we think of forgiveness as sort of a waving of the hand and saying, oh, it's okay, it's all right, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, a judge never does that, and, and, and God certainly never does that. Ju- justice, we, we, we sung today that God is a God of love and justice, uh, and he is. He, and so, so God will always act lovingly because he otherwise he would he would be acting against his who he is but he also would also he also acts always completely justly completely fairly because he's just uh so so you see when 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 jesus comes or when the lord forgives you uh it's not a suspension of his justice it's a consequence of his justice you see, he can't, he, he will not, he cannot forgive you unless there has been justice. So God fulfilled your, his justice for your sin. The, the, the justice that your sin deserved and he fulfilled his justice by executing Jesus instead of you. So that instead of justice, we can receive forgiveness. God can say to you, you are forgiven. 
all is forgiven because Jesus received your justice. That's how the, that's how the mission was accomplished. But it's even better than that, right? Because we need more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is great, but it just it simply wipes the slate clean. You're still you. And we continue to mess up, right? Uh, even though I'm forgiven, I, I still sin. And um, that's why when the other thing that happens when we, when we trust in this Jesus uh, is, and, and Martin Luther loved to talk about it this way. He said, it's like, it's like a marriage. It's like you get married. Jesus is the groom. You're the bride. But you're not a particularly beautiful bride. You're like Gomer in the book of Hosea, right? You're a prostitute that, that, uh, that Hosea, you know, bought out of the marketplace and, 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 and you're, you're, you're morally bankrupt, ungrateful, prone to run. And yet Jesus marries you and me. And what happens in a marriage, right, is that the two become one, flesh. And it's in that becoming one flesh, our union with Christ, that Jesus takes from you all your moral failures, all your inabilities, all your ingratitude, and puts it under his blood. And he gives to you all of his moral perfection, all of his moral beauty, all of his holiness. You see, that's why Jesus could say in verse 4, mission accomplished. I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. Mission accomplished. That word that you, Jesus uses there, that Greek word there, translated uh, accomplished, is the same form of the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he cried out at the end, it is finished. Right? It is, you could say, it is accomplished. That's, it's one word in Greek, and actually Greek um, archaeologists have um, uncovered in, in all their work in, in that area um, lots of documents, Roman documents, right? Palestinian invoices. And across the invoice is written to Telestai. It is finished. But in the, but in the context, in, in the marketplace context, you, you would translate that paid in full. It was, a, it was a marketplace word. So you could really, you know, it, it, in effect, Jesus is saying as he died with his last breath on the cross, paid in full. See, um, what does that mean? Well, it means, listen, friends, it means right now, today, Sunday, March 6th, there is no longer any condemnation for those of you who are trusting in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now or ever. Absolutely everything has been done uh, to earn you eternal life with God. It was done by Jesus. So do not hold back from this table, Christian. Right? Jesus is saying to you here, remember, all is forgiven. Papa. 
And by the way, there's no waiting period, right? I think we get so used to having this idea that, you know, if, uh, if you uh, commit a, a, a crime or you an infraction, right, it goes on your record, um, and then you have to kind of, you have to be real careful, right, for a period of time. And if you're really careful for a period of time uh, and you don't have any more infractions, uh, then the, the, those things roll off your record, right? Three years, five years, right? Um, and and uh, um, we, that doesn't, there's no waiting period here, right? That's, so it's not like, you know, you, I know you've sinned big time, long time, you know, friends, it's not like you've got to wait five years before you come to the table. There is now no longer condemnation for those of you who are trusting in Christ. It's done. All's forgiven. Last point um, about the moment, and we'll close with this. Um, th- you know, this moment is Jesus at his most glorious. Uh, g- glory is all over this prayer. And, and Jesus is saying, it's, it's my hour, my time has come, it's the hour of my death. Now, Father, because it's the hour of my death, glorify me. All right? Jesus is glorified in his dying to accomplish his rescue mission. Uh, Jesus is at his most beautiful, his most powerful, his most moving, his most poignant, his most effective when he is at his weakest, when he's dying for undeserving people. Now that may seem strange to you. It, you know, how can that be glorious? In fact, there was nothing glorious about the cross. In fact, it was, it was so, uh, it was so anti-glorious that polite people wouldn't even talk about it. There was a shame even to talk about the cross uh, and, and, and crucifixion. Um, it it, uh, it was just polite society didn't even deal with it. So, so how in this, in that? Could Jesus be most glorified? Well, he is. But, and, and while it seems strange at first, think about it in human terms because I, we, we, we see this principle in our own human relationships. In the last couple of weeks, we've focused a lot on President Zelensky and, and rightly so uh, uh, of Ukraine. And, and what has moved us about Zelensky is that here's a man who has found his moment, right? This is his hour. And what we have seen in this moment with Zelensky is a willingness not to exercise his prerogatives of power. Jesus could have called down legions of angels to take him off the cross. He didn't. Zelensky could have picked up the phone and told Biden to pick him up in a private jet and take his wife and his kids and himself and his wealth out of the country into asylum. Nobody would have thought twice. Every leader's done it for decades. But Zelensky says, no, I am staying. I am, I'm going to stay. I'm going to suffer. 
I'm going to be with you. I'm going to suffer with you. And I may die for you. But I'm staying here. Now, would anybody... Now, we understand that it's in some sense looks weak. It looks weak to Putin. looks weak to all these pe people that are focusing on power politics. It looks like a hopeless, quixotic sort of... Um, doomed to fail posture. But I would put it to you that Zelensky in this, in this moment is at his strongest. And he is certainly at his most glorious. Right? He's moved the world. He's even bringing a fractured country like ours together by, this, by his example. Uh, and and that's just a faint, far-off shadow of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Friends, it's not Jesus Christ high and lifted up at the right hand of the Father where he is most glorious. And I tell you, he, he is unbelievably glorious right there. I was thinking about that the other night. Did you guys see that lightning storm in the middle of the night? It's awesome, right? And, there's, I, and I was laying in bed, I even had my eyes closed, and I knew when the lightning happened, right? It was so bright, you could, I mean, even if, though my eyes were closed, it lit, lit my eyes up. And if, you're, and if your eyes are open, you see how blindingly white that is. It's just, that's going to be something like, you know, that's again, just a minor reflection, what, it's, what it must be like to look at the glory of Jesus right now. But that's not where he's most glorious. Jesus was most glorious when he was high and lifted up on a cross. Dying for you uh, and, and, and for me. Staying there uh, until he died. To paraphrase uh, theologian D.A. Carson again, uh, the ultimate display of God's glory is not, is not after the shame of the cross, it's in the shame of the cross. Jesus forfeited all the glory he had as, as, as the son of the father and he, his divine glory. And he forfeited even all of his human glory. Right? The art cleans it up. He's, he's uh, right, he was, he was stripped naked. He was tortured to a point of being virtually unrecognizable even as a human being. And then he was crucified naked in that state. I mean, it's the ultimate in shame. You know, people uh, jeering at him in that state as he's hanging on the cross. Jesus entered into that, the, that kind of shame, that deeply into shame, so that you and I will never be ashamed. And that's Jesus at his most glorious. Our guilt and shame are gone forever because of what Jesus has done. So, friends, come to the table. Come to the table. Drink deeply of the wine and toast the Lord for the complete salvation that he's won for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to come to your table now. We pray that your spirit would uh, feed us uh, spiritually through it. Encourage us in our faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could ask the uh, elders to come forward. Uh,
We're going to help serve as they're doing that. Um, read from Matthew's Gospel. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the, this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, the Last Supper was a Passover meal. And, of course, the Passover for the Jews was celebrating their great uh, historical salvation, right? Their freedom from slavery in Egypt that God accomplished. Uh, and, and now Jesus pours uh, a new meaning uh, into that meal uh, for you and me. Um, Jesus went on his own exodus uh, out of heaven to earth to save you and me from our sins and from, his, and from our shame and from God's judgment so that you and I could know the everlasting one. Um, so come, I've, I may, right? I've already urged the, you Christians to come. Uh, if you're a member of this church, if you're in any evangelical church where the gospel is faithfully preached and you're not under the discipline of that church, you are welcome in Jesus' name to come. By all means, don't hold yourself back. This is what we need. Uh, if you're not a believer, right, the, 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 I do have to tell you to hold back. Um, there are warnings in Scripture about eating this meal in unbelief. Uh, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want it, uh, so so uh, respect. We respect your conscience. We don't want to make you do something that is uh, not where you are right now in your. Uh, in your convictions. So just let the bread and the wine go by, but I would urge you, right, to think about what you've heard today from God's word, from the prayer of Jesus. Um, you, may, you might want to ask me, well, how do I know if I'm one of those people that the Father gave to Jesus? Well, I don't, you know, I don't have the list. <laughs> but I can, tell you, I, I can tell you that all I can say is that the telltale sign that someone has been given as a gift to Jesus by the Father for salvation is that you're whoa is that you're trusting in Jesus and um, and I say you're trusting in Jesus then then the Father gave you to Jesus uh, before the midst of time so uh, my my invitation to you in the strongest terms is to is to take your guilt, take your shame, take that longing for forgiveness, take that, those, those longings where, where you've almost hooked up that, you know, with that transcendence, that, that one that you're almost hooked up with is, is the Lord and he's come to you in Jesus. Believe in him, trust him. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we're going to eat this meal now. Uh, I pray again by your spirit that even as the, as we touch it and taste it and smell it and, and ingest it, that you would strengthen us uh, to um, remember whose we are, uh, to remember what we have in you, uh, to go out from this place uh, stronger in the faith that we might uh, 
we might show the love of Jesus to a weary world that needs it so badly. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.